0: Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Dan Scotland. If you're currently the medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. <laughs> Feel free to hit me up on Instagram at IamCanvaSativa, both S's. Feel free to check out our official Twitter account at ICSativaPod. You can find and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor.fm, Overcast, Radio Republic, colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am cannabis sativa podcast slash support. You can also support me now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash I see sativa podcast. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have $5 and above tiers if you're feeling extra generous. And a special thanks goes out to our current Patreons and supporters. Shout out to our friend
1: Nicole, are you there? Good morning, Nicole. How are you? You're running. How are you, Nicole?
2: Hey, good. How are you? All right. I'm, I'm, gonna, out. I'm gonna start. Uh, Nicole's president of the Massachusetts Patient Advocacy Alliance. Good one second, morning.
3: Nicole.
1: Nicole, one second. Um, can we get the um, clock up, please, Erica? I still give you your full three minutes, Nicole. Don't worry,
2: go ahead. Good morning, commissioners. On a day like today, I carry a relatable sentiment with everyone tuning in. Will my internet make it to the end of this hearing? (laughs) I wanna thank the commission and its staff for committing to the mission and quickly pivoting to virtual participation during the state of emergency. The Massachusetts Patient Advocacy Alliance strongly advises the commission to maintain its steady course in developing a more equitable medical program. If we want to fully integrate our medical program with the medical system, seek insurance coverage for medical products and services, we must have the support of our healthcare providers, personal care attendant agencies, and also be in line with their processes. In January, 2015, the MPAA mathematically theorized a caregiver ratio of one caregiver, 10 patients would be sufficient to provide safe access for the number of registered patients during that time period. At that time, the Patrick, Patrick administration had been sitting idle for over two years with zero dispensaries. We filed a bill in response to this. The one ten caregiver patient ratio is no longer necessary. It is obsolete. Today in 2020, every adult 21 plus can grow plants without a caregiver registration. The exception is when a patient cannot accumulate their 60 day supply from the allowed six plants. MPAA would much rather see caregivers registered on a case by case basis, similar to the process my personal caregiver went through to register for his second patient. An arbitrary number of patients per caregiver will likely open the door to a gray market that is indistinguishable from the legally regulated market you and the staff have worked so hard on developing. Prior to question four, illicit operators were boldly participating in interviews with well-known media outlets while making claims they were registered with the DPH legal, compliant, and qualified to collect patient's private data with no way for law enforcement to verify any of this in Patients got sick from contaminated medicine stolen from, assaulted. This regulation is also extremely inadvisable without a task force controlled by the state. Without a task force policy in place, we are leaving our local citizens to be openly enforced by the federal government. The commission should instead pursue the removal of vertical integration and allow MTC endorsement policy proposal by Commissioner Doyle to go forward. This process will allow for qualified small business participants to apply for a 1,500 square foot medical retail license stocked with their favorite products to dispense to registered patients. Lastly, the Massachusetts State House passed a bill allowing telehealth permanently. This is helpful to communities whose socioeconomic backgrounds have traditionally prevented patients from spending time traveling long distances or scheduling child care to attend doctor's visits. Removing the ability for new patients to seek medical registration via virtual participation will prevent the participation of patients that are ambulatory or cannot afford a premium fee for an in-home patient visit. Nicole. Thank
1: you. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you very much, Nicole.
2: All right, take care.
3: The Young Jerks are sponsored by UFCW 1445, a labor union representing cannabis employees in Massachusetts. If you are a cannabis employee worried about your health and safety and are not being hurt at work, at UFCW local 1445.org or call them at 1-800-439-1445.
4: welcome we're back Mike Crawford live young jerks special episode Uh, what I'm realizing is I'm looking at the zoom screen instead of uh, the actual what should be on the screen I don't know what I just did am I doing a share screen yes yes we'll get that straightened out Mike Crawford big special show today Uh, we are live. young jerks yeah I'm trying to figure this out now I'm screwed I should have done this earlier Hmm. Grant, do you see what we're looking at on the uh, yeah, on the Facebook Mike, feed? Oh, Mike, um, you are screen sharing. Stop screen sharing. Yeah. Well, that
1: um, it's still not working though. The um, Okay, I'm going to send you a message, Mike. Why don't you do the intro for now?
4: Okay. So just keep talking. <laughs> we're the Young Jerks. My name is Mike Crawford. I'm flying by the seat of my pants because so much is going on. It's hard to keep up. Uh, just open an email that I that's news I I, you know don't even know how to share it with you I haven't even finished reading the email but uh, it's basically uh, from the CEO of revolutionary clinics talking all about our show uh, the recent uh, not not the recent show the recent article that we put out uh, on midnight mass it mentions the young jerks in the first sentence first paragraph He actually calls it misinformation. I I don't know what he's talking about, misinformation. Uh, We may get into that today. We have a lot that we're going to get into uh, on this episode of the show. And I'm just going to go back to maybe... Uh, the host scene and see if that w- looks any better on the screen no it doesn't why is it popping up why is this we have popping to up
1: fix here? it we have to fix it through the software mic don't worry it only take 30 seconds
4: why is it on there though that's i don't know why it changed from what it was you period. have to
1: right you have to right click the zoom window
3: hmm.
1: and then on the general screen go to that drop down menu and change it from zoom to zoom meeting
4: So, you're talking about on the Zoom itself. No. On the X split. I, on, on the I, X split. What are we doing here? Yeah,
1: click. Why the, did, the, why did the, this
4: change, Grant? Because I'm, I'm really confused. Because you
1: went from a screen share to a not screen share.
4: I was never screen sharing. I don't even know why the screen share went on. That's weird, too. Because I haven't I used screen share forever. Like, that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, since we've been doing this. That's weird. Yeah, it
1: only takes a second to fix on-the-fly learning. So, where do
4: I so uh window Zoom is that what you're talking about Windows uh with
1: just open the XSplit.
4: XSplit is open
1: all right now click uh within the XSplit. click on that white window showing the zoom you know the wrong right, that's zoom. where
4: I'm in so
1: yeah right click and it'll bring up a black box
4: no i don't I don't have that
3: mm-hmm.
1: All right. There's one other option, Mike, because we should fix this, and that would be to open Quick Assist in the bottom left of your computer.
4: Quick Assist in the bottom. Oh, yeah. We'll try that right now. I'm sorry, people. we got a big show. We've got a lot of guests here waiting by, standing by. We're having some technical issues with the screen. But we'll get that taken care of.
1: It's the beauty of live programming I, and... I, the- I want
4: to know why it changed, though, Grant. You're going to have to explain this to me later because it should never change. It's supposed to stay the same, that screen it's showing the wrong screen it always showed the other screen i don't know why it shows this one now so i have the we'll quick quick assist yeah, open go ahead
1: and enter uh, the code which is 919890 and we'll spend a fun 30 seconds fixing this then we'll be right back into the show and unlike with live tv we can't cut to commercial So you get to see us fix it, and everyone gets a learning experience. Actually,
4: I can go to a commercial. That's exactly what I'm doing.
1: Go ahead, Mike. (laughs)
3: The Young Jerks are sponsored by UFCW 1445, a labor union representing cannabis employees in Massachusetts.
4: I realized I had to come back. You can't fix it. You're right. You can't do the commercial while you so fix this. Yeah. Go ahead. Show me With how you can fix this. Go ahead
1: and click grant permission in the uh, quick assist. It'll be fixed in fifteen seconds as soon as this connects. And we're back. I wanna know how it
4: fixed. I didn't even see it. I want to know how you got the box up. Ah oh, man. All right, we're live, Young Jerks. So as I was saying before we got uh, interrupted by technical issues and phone calls, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we have a big show. We're talking about what happened yesterday. There were regulations proposed, uh, things that are going on. Uh, we started off with a click, clip from Nicole Snow of the Mass Patients Advocacy Alliance. Uh, she was talking a bunch of BS, in my opinion talking about a task force, talking about how we don't need caregivers anymore, how uh, she has a caregiver, but she doesn't want anyone else to have a caregiver. That's weird. We have some great guests here, here right now uh, on the Zoom. We have number one, Dan Scotland, host of the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. What's up, man? Let
0: me un... Okay. All right. Can you hear me?
4: Yes, very well.
0: Yeah, um glad glad to be on. Thanks for having me. I, I went right to
4: you because you do a podcast. Like, you, you have it taped. You don't have to deal with the, the broadcasting bullshit issues. That must be so much easier, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it definitely is. Um, I mean, at first, like, I, I want to say the first few months of doing the podcast, I, I sort of scripted everything, but um, I, I sort of go off the cuff Um uh, and at most have bullet points, but then um, as you do it more and more, you get a workflow. So it's it's pretty simple, yeah. And how long
4: have you been doing your show now?
0: Um, today is actually the second year. So yeah, two years.
4: Very cool. And we also have uh, Dr. Marion McNabb. Uh, she's with the Cannabis Center of Excellence.
5: Hey everybody, hey Mike, thanks for having me on today.
4: Thank you, are you, are you seeing me melt down a little bit with the techni- technical issues?
5: <laughs> <I'm> doing, great. <laughs> doing great, you can always expect some technical issues always when anything's virtual.
4: I thought this was easy though, I'm like this isn't hard, I can do this, and then it always throws, like that. that is just ridiculous, I wanna smash this, this system we use, why did you change on me? Uh, <laughs> and uh, we have Janelle. Oh man, I want to make sure I get your last name. How do I say your last name, Janelle Goins? Yep, Goins. Goins.
1: Yep. Janelle <laughs> Goins. Yes. What's so?
4: Tell me about yourself, because I know that you're you. You've been on the show with Grant recently. He interviewed you and, and your husband, and you have a business. Tell tell us about yourself.
6: Um, well, my background is in accounting and finance. I've been doing it for over 20 years now. Um, always, We've both always been entrepreneurial and we were specifically waiting, honestly, to do delivery in um, legal cannabis when it was recreational. Once the delivery rules came out, we realized that we were definitely behind the eight ball because you really needed retail, the way that they had set up the delivery rules. Um, Right now, the company that we're starting is called the Emerald Turtle. It's gonna be out of Wareham. Um, We were waiting, like I said, to figure out what we were going to be doing because we really wanted to do delivery, but it wasn't anything. Now, we think we're going to be vertically integrated and have delivery, so but we're still we're still seeing we're fingers crossed that we actually
1: get wholesale.
4: and obviously Grant Smith's here. We already introduced him. he was helping me fix the system.
1: Yes good, good evening, Mike. Always a pleasure to be here, really excited to uh, to get into the caregiver issue and why I'm so excited to oppose uh, what uh, some of the people involved. Uh, with that patient group we're trying to say at the public hearing yesterday and why I'm why I felt their arguments were bad faith attempts to uh, make apologies for what was in essence an argument that boiled down to this caregiver proposal proposal would hurt dispensary profits and I look forward to explaining why allowing each caregiver to have 10 patients uh, at once in their caregiver grows rather than the one patient under the current limits, is a uh, far better system for medical cannabis patients, caregivers, and all those who favor low access to low cost medicine, alike. so.
4: And so let's talk about that, everybody. Um, we started off with Nicole Snow, Michael Atulop also spoke, Jeremiah, Mass Patients Advocacy Alliance. I mean, we've been when medical cannabis passed in 2012, we went to testify to the DPH several times right in the beginning about the regulations. And we were patients. Michael Malta, myself, other other folks. I think Chandra was definitely there. And we wanted caregivers. That's what we were asking for. And they immediately DPH. You know, we watched too as we went up there and testified. Michael Malta said it best. He said there was suit after suit after suit after suit. All these folks in and their dispensary suits that weren't patients that were talking about health and safety and things that I'm talking about now the health and safety from you know protecting us from those same suits because they they were using health and safety to stop caregivers that's what they were doing back then and when we since then since 2012 2013 we wanted 10 to 1 caregivers and for a while MPAA was all about it and they had a bill and they got a dozen co-sponsors and today they're not for it even though their president of their organization has a caregiver. <laughs> so she, she says it's caregivers are great for her and her friend, Michael and Jeremiah's their caregiver apparently, but no one else can get a caregiver. I mean that, but that's okay. Like she doesn't want to expand it. I mean, that to me is just fraudulent. There's so many issues. I want to hear from the guest who wants to go first.
1: Can I, uh, I normally wouldn't jump in, um, but this is an issue that's close to my heart, uh, not only because it's something that, as you said, Mike, is a fight that goes back to 2012, but also because I myself spent a decent amount of time trying to get this caregiver proposal uh, in front of commissioners. I met with all the different commissioners about this. I explained my thoughts. Uh, I talked to them through the issues. And so it's a proposal I know inside and out. And part of the reason why I'm so frustrated is not because uh, these people disagreed with it. I think it's possible to have good faith disagreements about regulatory proposals, but because I felt they were disingenuous with their arguments. And so just for some context, um, there are two different ways for a medical cannabis patient to obtain medication right now. One is to go to a retail medical cannabis dispensary, which, although they all started as nonprofit operations in 2012, are now almost... 99% 99% for profit operations due to a law change that occurred in 2017 after the adult use law was passed. So all of these dispensaries, the brick and mortar dispensaries, charge patients between 300 to $400 an ounce in most cases for flour, hundred dollars a gram for FICO in some places. And it's just simply unobtainable. And then to add insult to injury, their hardship programs offer between a 5% and a 10% discount. And as someone on, on social security disability, 300 to 400 a month, even with a $30 discount is still 50% of my monthly social security disability stipend. So patients like myself rely on caregivers right now. However, and what those caregivers can do is they can grow medication for patients like myself and then they can provide it to us at cost only, just the cost of growing the medication and transporting it to us as patients. And that's especially important for homebound and disabled patients like myself. Well, it's almost impossible and Mike, this is actually how I met you. It's almost impossible to find a caregiver right now because they are all limited to only working with one patient at a time. And those who work with more than one patient at a time end up targeted by the RMDs and their lackeys. Get, they try to get their uh, operations uh, shut down because uh, they are correct in some way that those operations are operating illegally. So what patients like myself have been trying to say is, well, if you allowed more caregivers to, if you allowed caregivers to register more patients at once, in this case, 10 patients per one at once with 500 square feet of canopy for those caregiver grows, then those caregivers could put their name on record, put their grow uh, location on record, allow the commission to inspect those grows and then also provide more patients with low cost access. But what did the uh, people who objected say? They really tipped their hand, Mike. And I want to I want to read this quote because it tipped the hand of the people who objected. They said, this was Nicole Snow speaking, In January of 2015, the MPAA mathematically theorized a patient-to-caregiver ratio of one caregiver to 10 patients would be sufficient to provide safe access for the number of registered patients at that time period. At that time, this is the key, the Patrick administration had been sitting idle for over two years with zero dispensaries. Then she goes on to say the one to ten caregiver to patient ratio is no longer necessary; it's obsolete. And that tips the hand. What what she's basically saying there is that when there were no dispensaries, sure, these caregivers were fine. But now that these non-profit caregivers threaten the dispensaries, we don't want them. Let me anymore. say it
4: another way too. It was fine when there were no dispensaries to pay them. Once there are dispensaries there to pay, MPAA their donation fee. Then they're lobby for the dispensaries. I mean, they, you know, it's it's funny too because she she says they're op- the the reason for it is obsolete, but she has a caregiver. <laughs> you Grant, you have a caregiver, but you know who doesn't have a caregiver right here? And if I can't get a caregiver, if I can't find a caregiver, and I host a show, I've been involved in the movement for twenty years. Guess what? The average person can't find a caregiver, like so. That's such like like let them eat cake that's what that reminds me of like like it's she has a caregiver but she doesn't want anyone else to have one and most people the reality is we want caregivers I'm desperately wanting to have a legal caregiver because I want better prices I want better products and there is other options that you know but beyond what Grant talked about you know you have the legal mass dispensaries that are ripping us off You have what Grant has, which is a caregiver, which isn't an option for me. So both of those for me, for the most part, are not attainable to me right now. Because I, 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 as a working class person in Massachusetts, I'm not on a disability. But I cannot afford to justify spending that amount of money at a Massachusetts dispensary. I feel like I am being robbed. She mentioned robbery. Anytime I walk into one of those Massachusetts dispensaries, I feel like I'm being robbed. So the other options are to break the law. And that's what a lot of us have to do. That's a, what most of us, most of us patients, I am the majority here on this. It makes me want to cry. We have to break the law. And what that includes is either driving up to Maine and buying it legally up there, because we can legally buy it, as we have a card in a Maine dispensary, but it includes legally driving it back across the border. So that, that's illegal. Or I can go to the street and buy from the numerous growers out there who haven't been allowed to be legal. You know, so if we allow caregivers, we, we can regulate those growers. A lot of those growers are serving patients right now. They are, in my opinion, a lot of them almost like caregivers, but legally they are not, and they should be. We need to make them legal. Uh, I know Grant's raising his hand. He's got to follow-up, but I want to hear from anyone else that has a, a, an opinion on this on the panel first. us to let them in because we're monopolizing right now.
0: Please. All right, Um. so I've... I've actually been to like multiple sort of medical slash recreational states. Like my like for caregivers emerged um three years ago when I visited Michigan and Michigan um honors out of state cards. I went to their cannabis cup there and there were people of all different stripes, all different colors that were. There were caregivers, you know, um, and you had like a, a huge variety of different products, different strains. Um, like I remember there was one deal I got where it was like four, um, four for $20 and the edibles were at least 70 milligrams. Like I've, I've seen how a confederation of small growers can provide a very, very competitive prices and very, very good product and um and w- when i came back to massachusetts it was it was it was a culture shock and um i've been wanting to sort of fight ever since then to make things better and and more attainable and um i mean i can't afford the dispensaries here in massachusetts um the the i mean i, I qualify for the 10% discount but 10% off of what 300 350 that's that's just too that's, that doesn't really make a dent And um, also um, I, I I also find that I have to, I have a main caregiver, thankfully I was able to find out about her and she's able to, to, to get it to me or I'm, or she sometimes comes to Massachusetts or whatever and she has patients in mass too. So I have to go to the caregivers to be able to afford my medicine or use CBD uh, flower and it's just, it's just ridiculous. There, a program shouldn't be this bad. And right. um, yeah. uh, again,
4: uh, you know, when you mentioned uh, she's a main caregiver helping you in Massachusetts, again, uh, people are asking me who's talking. <laughs> I got to make sure they know. Uh, that, that is Dan Scotland. It's, he's the host of the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. That's who that is. Uh, he's a patient in Massachusetts, and he's getting help from Maine caregivers. I mean, that says it all. We, we're getting help. I feel like I get more help as a medical patient from the Maine program than I do from the Massachusetts program that I fought for. And I have his name on the on on, on the wall behind me over here. The King of Pot, Michael Malta. We fought for that. Nicole Snell draped herself in the King of Pot, Michael Malta. She was a friend of his. He would be disgusted by what she said and did this week, and. Uh, I normally wouldn't say that, you know, because I don't think it's my place to speak, but you could play the videos. You know, he cared about caregivers. He, you can go back to his words. He, he, he said a lot of what you just said, Dan Scotland. What about the other two guests? Do they have uh, any comments on this caregiver MPAA issue?
5: Yes, I do. Um, You know, I think what... (laughs) Um, you know, I think it's, it's one, it's really important to have caregivers. I think a lot of the cultivators that are out there and the caregivers are out there actually probably have more tailored medicine and more varieties, just like Dan was saying. Um, the ability to actually give uh, product and design and, and grow product, um, that's, that's really helpful for medical patients and affordable. Um, I think there can be a balance between having dispensaries open and caregivers, um, especially for hardship medical patients. I mean, this is critical. We know, and from the research studies that I've done, you know, if you have severe medical conditions, you do consume more. You need larger amounts of, of, of cannabis. You need wider varieties to treat different conditions. And I, I wouldn't, I mean, why would you limit somebody from, um, you know, being able to access that medicine? So I, um, you know, I I also have had some instances where um, MPAA, you know, had uh, I was working on a bill with Stephen Mandele um, and uh, for the veterans, uh, you know, access, and MPAA also testified against that bill. Um, so it makes me question why. What is your patient advocacy focus right now? You know, are you really looking at patients? Do you want to limit caregivers when we know that this it's a good model and it works. Um, you know, or, you know what? What are the motives behind this? So I testified yesterday to again, you know, along the lines of increase the caregiver limits um, to ten patients and to um, have a 500 square foot grow.
4: It makes sense. And and sense. What, what kind of patients group continually now? Not more. Not just once, but as a campaign twice now has been against pay, expanding patient access. First, with the veterans bill that Stephen Mendeley wanted, which was a no-brainer, and they did—they did cause harm. It did delay it and stop it, and we have to fight for another year to get that passed. It still hasn't. Yep. So, so veterans are being harmed right now by our mass patient advocacy alliance. I saw someone on there on our uh, Facebook page, uh, you know, upon news of this, said, "Oh, now I'm going to cancel my donations." You said that six months ago, like when you post that, and I notice it, like that's almost disgusting at this point. That you're still saying that you should have canceled your donation six months ago. Like, like yeah, anyone that is supporting the MPAA at this point, if you're giving them money, like you have to question yourself, like because you're part of the problem. Nobody should be giving them money at this point. They they screwed the they screwed the veterans. Now they're screwing the patients with this caregiver BS that they just pulled, and they wanted to again. We've proven over and over again they want to work with the cops. They want the cops to come in. They want the cops to bust people. And then they say, we're worried about the feds, but they're asking for task force. They've worked with the police before. They've they've ratted out. They've dry-stitched to the globe. They've dry snitched to uh, weed maps and leafly enforcing them to take down caregivers. They're anti-access for patients. It's been proven over and over again. Janelle, do you want to say anything about this? Or uh, Dr. McNabb, did you want to follow up any?
6: I know that we were personally adding to our statement a few things that we heard in the public um in the public hearing the other day my question though is can you even cover your costs with one patient as a caregiver
4: no who can i mean just just
6: thinking it through and it would seem that that wouldn't even cover your costs and if that was what they were trying to do that would be a solid argument as to you want to at least cover the cost of what they're doing being that they're not getting paid as far as I understand so they still have to have some type of other job and do this on the side it's not um, it's not uh, it's not an easy thing to grow good quality cannabis it takes time so to me it's bad enough that you're not getting compensated but can you at least get them to cover their costs and that would be the first thing I would think of is how do you do that with one patient
4: yeah I would say it's impossible I think ten is even stretching it you know I think people are doing this for love but ten is reasonable, like that's a reasonable we can we can compromise on ten and and I yeah. think that keeps everyone you know it's so funny too'cause retail out, yeah,
6: they're not going to go out of business with the amount of caregivers that will be that have ten patients right, I think it will
4: expand the market for everyone too, I think they're really silly, they don't understand markets at all actually they're they're like bad business people, all of them, and it's been proven with the medman model, I mean they're not doing well um. You know what I want you know who's doing well the small caregivers in Maine I mean oh yeah they're killing it and that's exactly what we want to see here in Massachusetts actually and I know a lot of people who are real growers who oh geez I'm gonna go to you and grant in a second still aren't happy with this proposal because it's not perfect they're like we can't make money on it we can't do this we can't do that well that's the idea a lot of times is to get things passed and once you get it passed you know six years down the line if you have twenty five thousand, or you know, or three thousand, or whatever it is that they have in Maine, Maine. I mean, we should let's let's be serious. Massachusetts is much larger than Maine. Maine has yeah. twenty five hundred caregivers. That's a lobby. So once that lobby is there, they can then go to the state house and ask for some changes or the or the cannabis control commission. So that's what I want to see. I want to see, you know, a real group of people who want to be legal. Get to go legal, and it's smaller players that can get in. They can experiment. They can try stuff, and then maybe they start out as a caregiver, and then they launch a, a, a licensed business. That's a next step up, you know, a micro grow or something like that. It gives people opportunity with smaller capital, do it themselves. You know, the hustlers out there. It makes them legal. It gives them opportunity. We
6: should be going. What are going the main differences in me?
4: What's that? Can you say?
6: What are the main differences in me? In the
1: um, program.
4: Maine has evolved over the years, and, and their big concern now is that big cannabis is coming in and try to shut them down. Honestly, but Maine had this very similar type of thing, and now they ha- they have the option to get storefronts. So, like Maine started out just simple caregivers, and now some of the caregivers have storefronts too. So, like there's a lot of opportunity in Maine because it's been there for so long. It's been there for like yeah. 15 years, growing. Just didn't start overnight. But they, the difference in Maine is they started with caregivers and then later to dispensaries. We, we, we're we doing the opposite. We're, we're starting with dispensaries and then allowing caregivers later, you know? So it's just the opposite really. And there, smaller is yep. better.
1: The other difference is that in Massachusetts and part of why this proposal is so unique is that the operations, like you were saying, Janelle, have to be not for profit and not just not for profit, they have to be at cost. And that doesn't even include the caregivers time. So the people who are signing up for this they're giving all their information, they're doing this pro bono for the most vulnerable patients, the most impoverished, the most uh, disabled patients in the entire state. And they, they uh, are doing this basically out of the goodness of their heart. Maine is closer to a commercial caregiver model, but that's also why Massachusetts, why it was so insidious for people to oppose this proposal, because what they're basically saying is, not only should these caregivers not be able to have more than one patient, but if they do, then we should target Lock them, them with a task force yeah. this person the president of this patients association said quote this regulation is also extremely inadvisable without a task force controlled by the state and that, that task ta- yeah that, yeah. that task force was proposed by, by, the cannabis, by the Commonwealth Dispensary Association, the dispensaries last year, and anti-cannabis representative Hannah Kane. So it just shows the mentality these people have is not lower barriers to entry and increase patient access. It protects our profits by ensuring there's less competition. And what's really insidious and disgusting, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this because I get so worked up about it, is that this, the only reason to oppose the expansion of the caregiver proposal, other than it not being good enough, which I respect, but I respectfully disagree with, the only reason to oppose it is because it will allow people to obtain medical cannabis at cost in a uh, more, uh, in an easier way than they can now. And that means that less people even though they can't afford the medication Will be forced to go to brick and mortar dispensaries And that to me is Or the disgusting. black market or when, when you, when you oppose I mean, seriously. good public policy yeah.
4: Just because of profit That's disgusting Let's talk about more bullshit too that was said uh, we, um, th- This is going to send people to get robbed She said <laughs> We're getting robbed right now at dispensaries Number one robbed. Number two This is going to bring the federal government A bunch of BS this will protect people from the federal government. How many stories have I written over the last couple of years where someone has been up on state or federal charges for a similar amount of plants and the MPA did nothing for them? And I wrote about it, and wrote about it, and wrote about it. And why were they busted? Because the law is hazy on this. And what always happens in the end is that the charges get dismissed, especially if they're state. If you if you're federal and you have huge numbers, you may go to jail because the federal law is different. But the feds are not going after caregivers for thirty plants or or, or what, what was the number twenty four plants? Is this total twelve seedlings? And
1: th- um, well, so the, it's actually the good that you asked me because there's two different elements of the yeah. proposal, and you're exactly right. So but it's because the of up- the licensing, it doesn't even matter what the numbers. The numbers are
4: small yeah. enough, and the licensing in the law is going to protect. Because the feds always say one thing: if you're following the state law. We're not going to mess with you, so this gives most growers a way to follow the state law, and, and that's what and the general, federal, this gives them federal protection. So it's an actual lie. What okay. Nicole's saying. What Nicole is saying. So- she is a liar. That is a lie. That is an outright friggin' lie. And anyone who has been arrested or jailed, you should be very upset and angry that this person is lying right now.
1: Well, um, yeah, no, and it's the, the thing that worries me is that it's the ambiguity under the current law that put patients that puts patients at risk. Yeah. Patients right now can grow a, what's needed to sustain their 60-day supply, but that's resulted in patients, for example, with a hundred clones, yep. not even a rooted yep. plant, yep. being arrested. It's and you know what happens
4: pa- too is they win the case, like you know, but they have to wait two to three years. And if they're dumb dumb and they take a plea, then they're screwed because that's what they wait for. The prosecutor and the cops will arrest you and say we don't care about the law and they'll just keep bringing you like it, I, I don't if it was me I would get frustrated because I would not want to go to court every you know two months and then get sent home again with no resolution and that's what they do they hold you hostage for like two to three years until you finally either give up and sign a plea deal and, and go to a lesser charge or they finally give up and that's what happens eventually is they finally do give up because Basically, with the law that was passed in 2008, 2012, and 2016 by by initiative, judges don't want to prosecute, won't, they don't want to see these cases. The judges are like, even if technically they're illegal, people don't, like, people voted not to arrest people anymore. I know this. I saw the ballot initiatives. Judges get that. So unless you're some kind of kingpin looking at, you know, hundreds and hundreds of plants on federal charges... You're not going to get convicted anymore in Massachusetts for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there's instances, but the people I talk to, you know, I cover them for a year or two, and eventually that's exactly what happens. It gets dismissed. But
1: it's the process. With the, it's the current ambiguity with the one-to-one rule and the lack of any clarity as to what 60-day supply means. That, even though it won't result in convictions, leads to people being targeted. Arrested. What is peop- that's it. What because is the people cops, being
4: ar- If the cops have something that's very black and white for them, then they're gonna follow it that's the cops don't understand the 60 days they're like
1: they and don't, on top of that what, what do we know about and, and let's, talk, let's
4: talk about something else too grant because if the regs get in too, this is what someone else you know Dan Cho or someone that was talking about this today they're worried that it will change the 60 days well that is in the law right that's in the law so it the doesn't change days. yeah the 60 day is in the law so the regs for the caregivers are just what the caregivers are going on to be licensed.
1: Well, no, But there's some nuance so, there. So I, if someone gets get caught
4: them. with the 60 days, if someone is still, because that's in the law, they have to change the law. Am I right on that? No, the
1: there, there's nuance to this and I know we have other topics, so I don't want to belabor it. It but, is in the law though. 60 no, days is the law. I know, but so there's nuance to it because this proposal would create uh, hardship grows as well. So right now, patients can grow the 60-day, but with no defined limits. So patients, for example, there was a patient three months ago who was growing 62 plants. His doctor said he could be growing 62 plants because that's what he needed. They arrested him anyway. So the way the commission's proposing to fix this is to make it so that if you are a medical patient without a hardship grow, you can have 12 vegetative plants. And 12 flowering plants and unlimited clones, which is more than an adult Which use. is great. And, so that offers you, you some legal protection from
4: arrest. It right, leaves, then, protects you from the court. But if you but still yeah. have the 60 days...
1: I was going to get there. Go ahead. So the, the, if you get a hardship grow, your doctor can then say your 60-day supply equals this many plants, and you're protected for up to that many plants and can't be arrested. That's so you, what I want
4: so to say. So you're still protect. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, the 60-day doesn't go away. It's just the 60-day generally doesn't protect you against arrest. It protects you against get, getting a conviction, usually. So the 60-day is still there. I, I want to... This is what we have to clear up, Grant, for people. Uh, 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 we have guests here too because we want to talk about other things. I think we got through the MPA caregiver. Anyone else want to say anything about this, Dan Scotland? You been? Yeah, quiet? um,
0: yeah. I mean, what I find so like ho- horrible and insidious is that, like, again, we're being price gouged in this state. Um, we have zero. Yeah, we, we have zero leverage. Like these, the spend, because we have nowhere else to go unless we know someone that grows or can grow ourselves. And and with the makeup of the commission of the Cannabis Control Commission, besides Shaleen Title, Commissioner Title, we're hanging by a thread with these reforms. We're, I mean, I was astounded when, when, when this got proposed and I didn't, and I'm like doubting Thomas from the Bible. I have to see the caregivers come back to really believe that they're going to come back. But it's like the and you have the MPAA testifying and they have and they're they're an organization so these regulators are going to give their opinion a bit more weight and them purposely sabotaging this is just is so horrible and I wouldn't like if we if Massachusetts is more of a, of a regular dispensary model, like let's say Arizona, where it's just big cannabis and it isn't caregivers. I wouldn't mind that because they keep the prices low. But here in this state, the prices have been high. These dispensaries have been complacent and I'll sometimes get emails saying, if I spend $150, I get a free pre-roll. That's such hmm. a slap in the face. Hmm. So again, I mean, we really need the caregivers to have more variety and more choice. That's right. In the absence of a um, competent dispensary model,
4: it seems like since uh, COVID nineteen too in Massachusetts, with more medical dispensaries supposedly open, the prices have gone up. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. Think about that. Like we should, at this point, having a medical program this long, and that—that that is the number one issue for patients. You know, it's funny we play the Nicole Snow clip. She talks about uh, the harm patients on some other really important issues that I care about but suddenly when it competes with the dispensary she doesn't care about those patients anymore and our biggest issue isn't even tell i mean i i am for telemedicine 24/7 i mean i'm a patient my issue is scheduling i'm super busy i run a couple businesses i have no help i have to do everything myself customer calls i want to go help them i don't want to go to a doctor's appointment you know what i'm saying so I want to go on my schedule. It's hard to do with the, the medical doctors and mass. So I want telehealth. I want all these other things she's pushing for. But by far, the number one issue for medical patients is the cost of the medicine. And they don't care. It's not, what did, what did she say? It was not uh, important anymore. It was not, uh, it, it's obsolete. Caregivers are, it's obsolete. The reason for caregivers is obsolete. No, the reason is not obsolete because the price is still high. Like the reason we want caregivers, we want better quality, better selection. These are the things that Michael though, the king of pot, your friend, talked about in 2012 and 13 when you were hanging around with him pretending to be his best friend. We were talking about the quality of the caregivers. We were talking about the price. We were talking about the selection, the service, the people, the the family relationship, knowing who's growing it, where it's being grown, being able to see where it's being grown, being able to know the person growing it we don't get that at dispensaries we we find out there's bad things in them when the ccc goes after them and finds them after the fact that's how we find out and we often find out that the dispensary lied to the ccc and the ccc just gives them a fine which is a cost of doing business and they just keep going and they get more licenses the next month i mean this is what's going on in massachusetts right now so i'm frustrated and i want to see caregivers and and i know we spend a lot of time on this but I know people are watching. I see a lot of listeners. This is an important subject. Caregivers. I just
6: one more thought, Mike? Yes, go ahead, Jenna. The CCC is saying that they're looking for a low cost of entry um, license, right? So to me, it seems like they could fix this program, alter it in a way where it would be a low cost of entry. So it could solve two things at the same time, right? Um, it's just a thought that why don't they attack that in a way where there is some profit in it and you can kind of build your way out of there.
1: Um, a proposal to do that, Janelle, interestingly enough, uh, maybe not in this regulatory round, but basically allow them to charge for time, but at a set rate. So you can charge for 20 hours a week at $15 an hour. However, you can't charge any one patient more than X for your time. And uh, that's the kind of thing where what I try to tell caregivers is the CCC wants to help this model because it's done for the betterment of the patients. But at the same time, they don't want to drive these caregivers into financial ruin and make them operate at a net loss. They, right. They're doing this pro bono. So striking that balance with insights like yours is crucial. And I just wanted to thank you for that.
5: Yeah, and I'll echo that, Janelle, I was gonna say, I mean, this is a great uh, entree into the industry, and if you can set this up and get, I mean, these caregivers have been cultivating for forever, or may not have, but a lot of people have, you know? And there needs to be an easy way for making that legal, and this provides an opportunity to be regulated, to be overseen, and to find a profitable model, and then if you want to expand up into a dispensary, great. Um, But I see that. I think
6: that was an excellent, excellent point. And my thought is restrict the profits, right? But allow it to be something you can build your way out of. And it therefore becomes your low cost of entry. You can't can't disable delivery in order to make it your low cost of entry. But I I don't see why they don't look in a different place.
4: And, you know, another option, too, is to be able to where where it's been done in other places is sometimes they can sell their overages to dispensaries so if they grow a certain amount they don't sell it or they don't you know they, they don't have enough patience or enough you know demand for it they can always sell it to a dispensary that's not in there yet but these are things that we could definitely once and we to, have a program to, established we just got to get this established that's the bottom line. and to be fair to the
1: yeah. To be clear, I, I want to say opposition. something, too,
4: but Sorry. this is an opportunity that comes, like, once every seven years. Like, th- this isn't going to, like, if this isn't passed this time and it's not good this time, I, I, I don't know if it will come back next time because we don't even know what the Cannabis Control Commission is going to be like two months from now, three months from now. So, like, this is, it has to pass. People need to go all in on it. We, we should move on to some other subjects because this Mass- Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission had a, a big hearing yesterday and there were a lot of subjects being talked about. Uh, delivery obviously being one of them. Uh, we have some delivery experts. Uh, There's also advertising is an issue, I think. Uh, There's also an issue with sampling. There's also issues that weren't even discussed at the regulations that are coming up, like Ed D'Souza and others waiting over a thousand days for their license I mean ha when you is there any other business in Massachusetts that you have to wait and you're still consider a small player you're going from micro what they call a micro grow license and it takes you over a thousand days from the moment that you start the licensing process to the end and you're still not fully licensed yet you're still waiting you're still waiting for that final final approval so you can open I mean to me that's just disgusting uh, but I know a lot of the guests have different things they want to talk about. So look, why don't we start with uh, who's spoken probably the least on the show, which is not Grant myself. Uh, who wants to go first? Raise your hand, I guess. Nobody. Well, they're all quiet. i oh, will going to pick one. Dan Scotland. Go ahead.
0: Um, so I would say that, that um, and I've been looking into this since January. I I I mean, it's going to sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, but I, I in January I, on my podcast, I, I looked at every single dispensary. I spent about two hours of my time. I went on the website, I compared the prices across all of them and without fail, they are charging between 15 to $20 a gram. And it almost feels like there's a gentlewoman or gentle person's ag- agreement. To, to keep the prices at a certain rate or to not undercut each other right. besides road actors like um, Mayflower Medicinals. And I, I asked the CCC to possibly look into that. And I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just, it does not make sense like to have a program that's had the dispensaries for five years and to see zzz, like next to no price decreases. It's, it's, it's almost like it's coordinated, price but I'm just alleging it. that.
4: No, You're alleging maybe possibly price fixing and it's a good question to ask because I've looked at the prices as well And I found the same thing and what I would end up doing is driving around to to find the best deal Which is you know you drive a long way for the special of the moment and the special would only be temporary Like you know be well had a, had a special deal that was here for July gone in August I mean that's just the way it works around here. Uh, the price is right back to where it was I mean, that, that is a reality, definitely.
6: I think that that, that more has to do with, um, I mean, you can say collusion to a certain extent, but I really think it's just there's not enough players in the market yet. Supply. Let, they don't have to go down. Right now, at the prices that they're at, they're making plenty of money, they have plenty of business. Go down for what reason? Like, there's just no reason. Once you have more players in the market, and especially for retail, you have delivery entering from one side. You have additional retailers entering from another. Your addressable market is going to keep, continue to diminish. Then you will see prices start to move. You know, it's just that this market has been so slow to build that you've been able to have price insulation. So, yeah. and, that's really I the,
4: and I think on the rec side, too, you're, you're getting a lot of tourists. Like I, I feel like you know on the medical side, obviously they're serving Massachusetts patients, but I think a lot of the rec stores, depending on where they are, but the ones there are certain rec stores they're, they're serving people from New York and New Hampshire,
0: and Vermont, that,
4: in Vermont that don't have any access, and they're willing to drive two hours to, you know, because when you don't have a connect, you know, you'll you'll go drive anywhere and pay anything to get it, and I think that's you know when. They only have so much product to sell. There's not that much being grown here. You'll sell it for the top dollar to those tourists and, and not worry about folks like me who, who are driving to Maine for it.
6: Um, you, barely, you barely want to sell ounces. You want to sell everything in Ace. Or, right?
4: or grams now, I'm noticing. I mean, it's like they're, they're gouging on the gram now. And they don't even offer like you said ounces half the time you know, quarters it's like well, we might have a couple quarters <laughs> it's like okay that's that's a big buy i got I got a chance to buy a quarter ounce Wow,
0: and I think another dynamic um like like to add on to what Mike was saying is um in New York, um whole flower in their medical program is not legal, so they can only really get it from their street connect or they have to come to Massachusetts, and both Vermont and New Hampshire. They have tethering in their medical marijuana programs. So you can only assign one dispensary and you can only go to that one dispensary. So I'm sure, like Mike is saying, you have people from all over the the northeast and even the eastern seaboard coming to our dispensaries.
4: Anyone else? All right. Well, let's talk about delivery because that's, that's the big, I mean, this was like, all about caregivers and delivery. Who wants to go first on the delivery debate? I, I want to make sure that we mention two Midnight Mass dot Substack dot com. Two good stories on there uh, that you're probably going to hear us mention. You know, we're, we're talking about issues that came up uh, from those stories today. Midnight Mass dot dot com are two recent stories. One I wrote about revolutionary clinics, the Me Too story, and then one that Grant wrote just on what happened yesterday which was the uh, CCC went through their regulations, the review of their new proposed regulations, the draft, and they took testimony yesterday. And, uh, you know, one of the big subjects was delivery. So what, let's talk about delivery right now. But if you want to know more information, though, for the audience, midnightmass.substack.com. Check those stories out.
1: Can I just say something quickly before I toss to Janelle because um, I actually want to thank her uh, and her husband, Aaron, along with Morris Partee uh, and Chris Fervray and Devin Alexander and so many others. Uh, they've been working uh, both with uh, MCAD, the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery, along with a bunch of other groups to uh, really ask the CCC to expand the current adult use delivery format. Uh, it, what, right now, that format is, in Janelle's words, worse than Uber Eats which is to say that it's basically a glorified courier where companies have to own fleets of cars and deliver product from existing brick-and-mortar stores to consumers and try to subsist off the uh, fee, uh, the delivery fee. What's so fascinating and why I'm thanking Janelle and all of those who did that work is that their economic analysis showed that even charging $40 per delivery based on the number of deliveries that could be done per day, because all the product has to go back to the dispensaries in a single day, by the way, that even at $40 of delivery, these companies would operate at a net loss per month. So Janelle and uh, this excellent group has been forcing the CCC to grapple with the fact that without uh, the ability to purchase product at wholesale from cultivators and manufacturers and store that product in a warehouse, the license type will fail and the equity that it represents through its existing priority period for EEs and SEs seeking delivery license will be rendered moot. So Janelle, Please, can you tell us more? And uh, thank you again for letting me give you that introduction.
6: (laughs) Thank you, Grant. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that for delivery, we expected that it would come out being a normal business like a regular license. Um, There was no reason for us to think that they would pull wholesale, um, being able to purchase wholesale. It was totally a shock to me when I heard that they expected you to be able to purchase retail, at the prices that retail are at and still make a profit because people are already complaining at what they're paying when they go to a retail establishment. So now on top of the 20% taxes and the high cost, we're now going to say, pay us a delivery fee too on every order. Okay. Um, it just, it does. it's not going to last. There's no way that everybody's going to be able to hold on to that delivery fee. First, so that's the first problem, right? The, the, the plan is made up of you need a delivery fee. And second, you need the retailers to give you a commission off of retail that makes sense. You know the delivery fee. It's going to be a fight to zero. How quickly that will happen, I don't know. It honestly could happen out of the gate, who knows, right? Somebody deciding that they get a better deal with a retailer, because that could happen, and they come out with a lower delivery fee. Or they
4: want to corner the market like Amazon.
6: Yes, they can. Big box,
4: a, I mean, that that's basically number one.
6: But with the retail model, I don't even know if you can corner
1: the market. Yeah, well, and
4: who would want to? Like, I said yeah. this from the very beginning, I, I said this is not going to work. Because no. I've been in these businesses, like, you cannot deliver all across the state for forty or fifty bucks, and especially like you said, they're gonna kick. You know, the is not gonna kick back. Like all those delivery companies that are out there, like Dining In, like you know Dash, they got a kickback, a huge yes. kickback from the restaurants. The restaurants are, and that that this is that that whole industry is under so much scrutiny because of how abusive it is, like the Door Dashes and all those are to the restaurants. This would be the opposite, though you guys would have no leverage in this it's just it just would not work we know it would
6: not not. in a retail only model right now if you give us wholesale you you can say that that will strengthen the retail model a little because retailers will now know yes someone is going to be delivering we don't control who's going to be delivering because essentially they could say Forget this we're not having deliveries for the next two, three years till they figure out the program failed, and we get to do it ourselves because they will figure out the program failed right um, it's not there's there's no you're not going to have these tons of successful people in that retail model in the wholesale model you now are able to force retail a little right to say, okay, this is going to be happening. I now have a war from two fronts. I need to do something so they will i think especially the vertically integrated ones will come out of the closet now with some percentage that doesn't mean that everybody can do it every everyone's not in the same position but i think having wholesale at least gives you that advantage that there's some pressure on them there's no pressure on them in the current retail model on top of it i know that the the big argument was that they wanted to give a low barrier of entry license and i understand that i get the good intent in it. But all it's proven to do is be another roadblock. Because if the way that you give, you make delivery less expensive is to take away wholesale, you might as well not have delivery. You take away wholesale and you're, and you're attaching us at the same time to the hip of the retailer. Not it, it, nothing about that makes sense, right? So to me, the lower cost of entry has to be found either somewhere else or you just have to talk about funding and stop not thinking about that. People need a way to have funding if you're trying to gain equity in this market because it's an expensive market to get in. You can't destroy the license though in order to say it's a low barrier of entry, yet you're not willing to get rid of the second driver. You're not willing to get rid of cameras, right? So you're not willing to get rid of the storage time that we have to keep all of these things. You're not real willing to not let us have a building. We have We can't store cars in our driveway Right, so all of these things are things that you're saying for public health and public safety. We have to increase the cost.
4: Yeah, why, why don't they do an armored car too, and a guy with a gun? I mean, this is just why don't just make a delivery cost five thousand dollars, and we'll be good with it. Uh, and, and and they could
6: say that we could deliver one thing at a time and come back to the store every time. I know some people well, are doing that too. Like, <laughs> like I just, it, it's not, it's not viable. And let's talk about you, that's why wholesale. Hopefully, will just will pass.
4: That's what I want to talk about wholesale. So if wholesale. If, let's say they add wholesale to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I look at that as good and bad. I mean, because you add wholesale, now you're looking at a location. Are they going to add a host community agreement to that?
6: But you had to have it anyway. We had to have a host community agreement to get a delivery. We had to have a building. So now my building has to have another room in it that, has, that is secure.
4: So you already have one is basically the answer. You don't need another one.
6: You don't need another building, no. Oh. You don't need another H. I mean, your HCA would have to say your delivery. You know, you'd have to have delivery on your HCA, but you're still going to need an HCA. They weren't saying that we could drive the cars from our houses. That's true. So we already had to have a building. So
4: you're you already good on that.
2: yes,
6: yeah, so it gets a little bit bigger because now you have to have somewhere where you can package if you're going to take from wholesale is where you need to package, right. and you're going to have to have some place where you can store securely your cannabis, which you didn't have to have before, but. I don't know that that's a big enough cost to say it's worth having no profit in the business. <laughs> right.
4: I'm wondering so. if that could be set up too where where it's almost like a you know U-Haul or like storage space where someone has a secure location where they're rented to five or six delivery. You know what I mean?
6: That was a suggestion. Um it wasn't actually our suggestion. Someone else that was doing delivery wanted to do co wanted to co locate. Right. And I think that that's another thing that can help to lower the cost that you have because the only concern was how would they then separate their cannabis? But if you have a secure room, you can easily put cages in that room right. and each We're cage safe. would be, yeah.
4: Yeah. You
6: know, whatever it would be, that would be secure for that. That's your inventory no one else can touch it. And then you split all the rest of the costs because if you are gonna be a retail deliverer, you're still gonna need to cut costs. Like there's just not a lot of meat on that bone. Awesome. Yeah
5: you know, building on that, I mean, if there's already not a profitable model and it's only exclusive for two years, so why even really try to, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, and then you've already done all this, you've got your HDA, you've got all this going and then others can come into the market. So I really do think it should be at that's least standard. like three, four years, if not five.
1: Can I ask Janelle a question? Chanel, one of your big asks was not only the wholesale and warehousing, but also to ex- expand the current two year equity EE and SE priority period longer. Can you tell us how long you're asking for and why you're asking for it to be expanded?
2: Um,
6: one of the reasons, just like Marion was just saying, we, first of all, how long is it taking to get licenses? That's not a quick process. And even if they're going to speed it up for delivery, It's not going to be that fast, right? And we're gonna start the clock from the day that the first one opens. So, or I don't know if it's granted the license or opens, but regardless, right? And 16 months after that is when they're going to evaluate whether they're going to extend it or not. My guess would be, yes, it would be extended because it won't have reached enough people. So then you'd get three years, but you still have to think, first of all, will anyone have been able to get in? Will enough people have been able to get in in that time? Secondly, no business can be, if you just take the regular businesses, not cannabis, right now, no business is evaluated in two years. You, yeah. you really break even in three.
4: Yeah, three
6: to five. You're now gonna evaluate us in two years. You're not even giving, the Cannabis Control Commission is not even giving themselves enough time to really evaluate. And how many people are they gonna be evaluating anyway? Right. Because I'm wondering how many are gonna get in. Then you have to think, Forces in the market. You want to give a little bit of time for things to come about. People that may lease cars to drivers, co located locations. Somebody has to still open up and get a co located location and then offer it to other people. That's all going to take time. How are they doing this in two years, three years? We would love to ask for five because that's probably the time it's going to take. We just think that. Um, Well, what what the commission was telling us is that two years, you know, they can push the legality of two years. They could probably do it for a little bit more than two years. Five years, it sounds like they were, you're kind of pushing the edge. I say it really would take five years for them to really be able to see what's going on in this market and is it actually working. But we're pushing for three years with at least one year extension because we wanted to be reasonable. The, th- the things we want to focus on asking were things we could get a yes on because we need these yeses. Delivery's not okay right now. Um, we also need a yeses for the amount of towns that are open, but we left that for the time being because it was a much bigger fight. And I, I, we wanted to make it so that the things we're asking for, you have no argument. So give it to us. If you're for equity and your mandate is equity, there's no reason that you have taken wholesale away from us. And unless, and I was not presented from any of the commissioners with a good reason other than lower cost of entry and the fact that they had an issue with, would we be able to transfer stuff from the wholesaler to the customer in a way that they think is safe? Um, you already have all your retail rules, make us follow that. That increases the cost, but that makes you comfortable and we want wholesale. So we will do what, you, what makes you comfortable. Give us wholesales, just like the the caregiver thing. We're asking for this much, but we know we need more, but you have to start somewhere because right now without wholesale, you might as well got not nothing. fight it.
4: That's right. Yeah. You got nothing. It's just no. like, well, we have caregivers right now when Nicole Snow has a caregiver, but I can't get one. I mean, is yes. that fair? That's not fair. But she says it's fair and that the need for caregivers is obsolete now, but she has I a wanna, caregiver, but no one else can have a caregiver.
6: It's time for equity. It's time for your vote to be put where your mouth is now.
4: So we need, we need this. We need delivery services with wholesaling. Definitely. We need yeah, I wanna like. Go ahead, Dan Scotland. Dan Scotland, right. what's up?
0: Um, I want to like, like, I, I agree with everything that has been said thus far, but I'm like, really like, I want, the delivery model to succeed. I really, really do. And I want it to succeed so much that, you know, when the bigger companies come like years later or or whenever the exclusivity period comes, when the big multi-state companies try to come, they get iced out. I want the local delivery companies to, to, to really be known and to really thrive. And, um, like I think it's part and parcel with the other with what other people were testifying about with with regards to lifting the bans on advertising, they, they, it has to be well known that there are delivery that there's delivery and there there are EE um, people that are that that have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs because again like this is there's seven million people in this state so. It needs to be known so again, so the big ca- cannabis multi-state folks can be iced out by the time the two year period is done. But just agreeing with everything that has been said.
4: Thank you, Dan Scotland. Uh, he's the host of the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. Check him out on Twitter too, you're, on, you're a madman on Twitter. My name is Mike Crawford, I'm hosting. Uh, we also have Grant Smith here. We have Dr. Marian McNabb. She's with the Cannabis Center of Excellence. And we have Janelle, I'm going to say her name again. Don't so say it for me. Go in. Go in. Go in. Go in.
6: Go,
4: ins. Go, ins. go in. It's like Owens with a G. Go in. Yes.
6: Just go in. Go in.
4: Oh, no S. Janelle, <laughs> go in.
6: I like that. No, there's an S. I'm oh, there is an
4: ass. Go in. Go
6: in. Yeah. yeah. Go but in. There's no right. to go trying. in. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah.
6: But Israel, he's had it pronounced so many ways. Gómez. Sometimes they call him Gomez. So it's, it's fine. you're close.
4: I am close. Uh, and we have we have a great uh, show today. Obviously, we're talking about the Cannabis Control Commission, the regulations that just went through. You know that are being proposed. There was a public testimony yesterday with a bunch of speakers. I think they took a hundred names uh, and all three of you, three out of the five of us were testified yesterday at that. Um, what are the other things that we want to talk about related to the regulations? Like, cause there's a lot of things that are proposed, a lot of even, even things that aren't proposed that people want to change. What do you want to highlight? What are some of the other things besides the delivery or the caregivers that we talked about so far?
5: Well, I'll pop in here. Um, So I talked about both of those uh, yesterday—the caregiver and the delivery licenses—but also really kind of looking at the economic empowerment and the social equity program in general. And Janelle, you brought up funding and loans, and you know, uh, where where are we on that? And I suggested that the commission—you know—there's a lot of concerns uh, from EE applicants and SE applicants to, you know, uh, sit down and really have a thoughtful, meaningful, regular time to sit with those applicants to hear these programs. Lots of programs are being proposed uh, to help it, um, but definitely as a former social equity training vendor, um, I, I feel like the CCC needs to dedicate uh, funds and resources to that program and also really you know, pay attention to these applicants and, and fast forward a lot of those applicants. Um, and then I also uh, recommended that the original way that the commission picked the 29 cities of disproportionate impact, I had fundamentally disagreed with personally and testified around for quite a while and submitted a lot of testimony around that. So they missed out on a lot of cities that are disproportionately impacted, and I think they need to really expand that. Um, and then, you know, considering the HCA model where you don't have to have a location, uh, like what was implemented in Maynard and um adopting some models like that, um, I think would be important. Um, the other pieces that I brought up were specifically close to my heart, which were the research license uh, category. Um, to be honest, I was kind of I was kind of happy to see the finally some some work around that um, and to see that there are permits that will be allowed. but one of the concerns that I had was a cannabis research facility. Well, it could be an academic institution or a nonprofit or an MTC themselves, um, if they are to be co-located with an MTC, they have to be co-owned, and so that kind of boxes out uh, a few other players too, so I had a little bit of concerns on that. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, I also, again, as a, as a cannabis researcher, it's very, very difficult to find funding uh, for research. Uh, we've had to be, I've had to be creative over the last couple of years, so. I think the commission, in addition to supporting social equity, should really look into supporting, you know, cannabis research as well. Other states like California and Colorado have done this um, and thought that they should probably consider some of that. So those are some of my additional comments yesterday.
4: I think that would make sense. We could be the, I mean, we're, we have MIT, we have Harvard. Why aren't yeah. we doing cannabis research? We could be like the center of it for the whole world and, and get a big economy going. We, we put money into... Um, all kinds of other science in Massachusetts, you know, governor Devalpatrick was all about the biotech and the, the farmer and this, this and that. And why don't we put money into cannabis research?
6: And you yeah. mess with my agricultural program.
4: Right. There's they yeah. a lot of money into research. Why aren't they doing it for cannabis? It would make so much sense. It'd be the hot sector to put, they would get yeah, a lot the of I found it is just, you know,
5: having that, Uh, research cornered in the market by, you know, large companies, just kind of like cannabis side, you know what I mean? So like pharmaceutical industry, as long as there was, you know, intent for public good in that and, you know, driving medicine and driving formulations and then giving back at the same time. um, I think that's a key for me to not lock into the research market only to those that are also really wealthy, but from another industry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I've advocated for this for, you know, since the industry, since it was legalized, uh, adult use in, in, Massachusetts, I, um, I think it would be really important. And I think we deserve it as a, as a country. Um, I think re- researchers have been prohibited from studying this. Um, you know, you're only allowed to use, uh, NIDA approved, you know, cannabis from Mississippi and clinical trials. And, you know, it's just,
4: I think it's an era that needs to change now. And, and I guess their cannabis isn't really known to be the best. I mean, I remember we used to talk to uh, some, some patients that got it, Irv and, uh, oh my God, I forgot her name, Elvie. And they get the seeds in it. Yeah. You ever see that stuff? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah.
5: Yeah, it's awful, right? So I don't know if you know Dr. Sue Cicely. Um, so she was yeah, the i was heard of her.
3: Uh,
5: yeah, she's amazing. She spoke at uh, an event that we hosted last, uh, last year with Steve and Joint Venture & Co. Um, really incredible woman. So she's the first uh, researcher to actually be approved by NIDA to study, uh, I mean, approved by um, federal government to study PTSD in cannabis and veterans. And she had to use NIDA cannabis and it came like sticks and seeds and was just not representative at all and really she thinks and you know it basically uh, falsified her findings because it was not at all representative of what was available on the market Apparently, and yes. so
4: do you know they pre-rolled that crap like irv and lv were patients they were like the the first legal patients medical patients in the country and the, and the federal government grows this. Yeah, I think it's two locations, right? One is in Mississippi, but they would grow this cannabis and they would mail it to the few legal patients they, they allowed because of this lawsuit against the federal government, I believe it was, but they would get the joints and they would be rolled with seeds and stems. And so they would break everything up, get all the seeds and stems out of it and then re-roll them up. It's just it's like, that's the federal government for you. They could have just sent them yeah, like- just send them a bag. They'll, they'll roll it themselves. But um, getting off of that subject, I want to get back to one of the things you said, Dr. McNabb. Dr. Marion McNabb, you mentioned um, disproportionately harmed communities have kind of been left out on what the state defines as, as a, a harmed community. I noticed that, too. A lot of people noticed it. What, what are some of the cities and towns? Do you know off the top of your head, like certain cities or towns that were left off that should have definitely been included? Lawrence
5: Lawrence Lawrence
4: wasn't included Lawrence was not included. That is just so ridiculous How many times was Lawrence on cops? Like that that should be the status How many times was your city or town on cops? If you were on like more than five times like Lynn and Lawrence were you should automatically be in all right. I mean Yeah, Yeah. and it was the
5: that, um, yeah, I don't think Brockton was, it was Brockton, and yeah, Brockton's I included, I think.
4: Brockton's bad, um, too, but Lawrence, over, yeah.
5: Yeah, Lawrence definitely was not. Lawrence is actually the first city that I ever testified in in Massachusetts um, to support adult use cannabis and to support equity. And the researcher that was selected um, to identify those 29 cities used a metric that I feel was fundamentally flawed. Um, and basically, the way that he calculated, uh, you know, the cities and their impact, he didn't include some key indicators in there and half of, you know, some of the, some of the samples he only had half of the cities in Massachusetts that was used and it it just was a flawed uh, a flawed um, model in my opinion so um, I hope that and I've heard that the commission I think may be reviewing to you know realign to make sure that it's a little bit and I hope they do Um, I'll resend in (laughs) some recommendations I had a colleague who uh, got a PhD on the subject who worked with me on this um, and really well trained, is really well trained. So anyway, I think that they definitely um, should adopt, you know, reconsider expanding that list. Um, um, yeah, and you know, I also really think that, um, one of the things that I think was contentious recently, uh, and I have to applaud Commissioner Title, I, I love you Commissioner Title, you're the best, um, support you wholeheartedly. Um, but the use of fines and those fines recently um, to be able to fund social equity and economic department, that's a no brainer to me. I mean, you know, already the commission is receiving a lot of money. Um, you know, that was what, how much? $600,000. Yeah. 800,000. Like, something
4: like that. Yep. 800,000.
5: Like that's not a small chunk of change and people could really use that. And if the commission can't issue grants or loans or whatever, because of, legislative stuff or, you know, uh, there's a, you know, find another solution, find a partner, find uh, somebody outside the commission. Don't make, you know, do something. But like, that's a lot of money that then is going back into the commission to hire more staff. We'll hire social equity staff, you know, I mean, so hire hire people that are working on that program or create and use that, that money for, for the actual businesses. Give it to the social equity applicants, the economic empowerment applicants. They already their have staff.
6: donations too, I think. Sitting
1: in escrow and the social equity program budget has not gone up in three years. We just had Shakia Scott, an excellent interview on the Young Jerks that can be found in our archive and on our podcast platform, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and otherwise. Uh, where she talks about how that budget did not go up from its base 300,000 three years ago until now. And those mon- that money from fines and, uh, like you were saying, the PIP donations in escrow already could change that. And I want to ask one more question, because um, there's another proposal brought up at the regulatory hearing about the de of the medical cannabis market. And I noticed something. There is nothing about equity in that proposal. And dating back to 2012, there has never once been a social equity or economic empowerment program for medical license ownership. Do you all, I wanted to ask the panelists, and even you, Mike, do you all think it's time that the CCC only issue new medical licenses for a period of three to five years to SEs and EEs only? Yes.
6: It was too expensive. That's what I think. It, you had to have like, didn't you have to have season five hundred thousand dollars in yeah. your bank account, in bank, like
4: sitting in the bank? And if yeah, it came so. out because you were worried that the federal government might seize it, or oh, the or the bank account oh, right. closed it because they were afraid, then you'd get in trouble. Yeah, if you didn't report it, it's yeah, so stuff that So
6: they had no intention of being. <laughs>
4: uh, let's answer the question though. Yes, do you support it? Do I
1: support their? Uh, if medical licenses are deverticalized, so if that capital requirement's gone, oh, do you okay. support a three to five-year period when new medical licenses would only go to EEs and SEs? Oh, definitely.
6: As long as they're – you have to understand that you have to have some kind of funding component. Otherwise, that, that time period, you'll get nothing in it anyway, right? So the, that's, that's where the problem is. You're going to need to fund it. But I would definitely agree with that, just like I would agree with the towns, having to go back in and say, we issued only two, two licenses, but they were all two non-SEEE participants. And we need to go back and one-on, one-to-one, open two more licenses to be fair. Yeah.
1: I, I, they don't even have to do one-to-one. They could be bold like Cambridge and go unlimited only EEs, yes. no one else, get sued by a medical dispensary, win in court, and then rub it in the medical dispensary's face.
6: But I'm saying the towns that have already closed themselves, Grant. So you, they already have given out their two licenses. Yep. Well. You know what you'll like, Janelle?
1: Medical, if it does get deverticalized with an equity priority period, cannot be banned. Yes, I know. <laughs>
5: Anyone else? I also support, I I definitely support um, having a, you know, uh, social equity or economic empowerment program within the medical program. I I talked about that yesterday. I think one of the biggest challenges is at the town level. I mean, these are state programs, right? And just what you were saying, at the local level, I think a lot of municipalities don't even know what the social equity program is or that it even exists, you know, unless there's a loud voice there and saying that this is a program, you need to pay attention to it. I don't think they are even aware of it. Um, so, you know, having a, either a requirement at, at the municipal level or, you know, implementing the innovative, you know, get an HCA without a location approach or other ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've seen time and time again, colleagues at the social equity program, you know, they've gone up to at a city council and, um, you know, they're, they're beat out by somebody with more money. You know, um, and and that that city council, or you know, is not held accountable because they don't have to. It's a state program, so I think that's a really big challenge for the
6: for the program.
0: And Dan Scotland, yeah, yeah, I I totally I totally agree that um, that EE should have. um, they should be able to make inroads medically so they can sell. Um, I miss vendors like, um, like um, I, I miss vendors like Northern herb. I, I know they're a deep cut or whatever, but um, yeah, I miss I miss, having, I miss seeing a variety of different people at, that are both the vendors, both the sellers, both the distributors. Um, again, I had people of different backgrounds when I utilized services like that. And I would like to see the state invest in um, in, in cities and, and towns that were disproportionately affected by the war on drugs and to have them be able to to have the drug war victims be able to have a leeway to be able to do it. So I totally agree. Awesome.
4: I want to ask everyone another quick question here. Uh, midnight Mass, we put a couple stories out. Grant put a story on their review of what happened, what went down at the cannabis control Uh, Commission uh, public comment period yesterday the story before that was a me too story about the Massachusetts cannabis industry I'm wondering if you all read it and what do you think about it and what do you think about the comment that I got from uh, Keith Cooper who is the CEO of revolutionary clinics who seemed to call it misinformation which to me is strange because all I was quoting was his former CFO a court document a, an, a couple of employees. I mean, that was based, I was just quoting people, and he's telling, he's calling it misinformation. What did you think about the story if you saw it? And uh, what's what's your feedback on what Keith Cooper said about it? Apparently, nobody wants to go. Let's let's.
5: So I saw the story, um, you know, and have known, uh, you know, a few people that have worked at Rev clinics um, and that you know have had. Some challenges, um, you know, working there um, to stay, I guess to be polite challenges, um, you know, I think it's a, um, you know, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of stories and I remember that time at, you know, around that time when that happened. Um, I don't think any kind of uh, behavior, um, sexual harassment or abuse against women is acceptable, period. Um, and a lot of people have come out Um, and a lot of, and, you know, you've reported on it. Um, and I just don't think it's acceptable. I don't think that's an acceptable workplace behavior. Um, and the response to it, I think is, um, you know, not, not good.
2: You
4: know what I thought was interesting too, reading Keith Cooper's, uh, email that he sent to apparently all of his employees, the, uh, CFO didn't respond to us, didn't respond to the press, It Didn't really seem to respond to the victim when it happened and if they're you know the alleged victim Let's put it that way because I I just want to make it clear on this story. I I really didn't pick sides I just printed the complaint from the woman That she filed she she filed an official complaint with the Massachusetts Commission against discrimination I quoted her from that complaint. I quoted the CFO who also who sent me messages so I, I quoted both sides. I think I was very fair on that. I, I'm not going to make a determination. I'm not a court of, court of law on this. However, I have heard so many stories about problematic issues uh, for employees at revolutionary clinics over and over and over and over again. I will say that. And there are other complaints. I'll say complaint. There is another complaint. Let's be clear on this. That we're going to be reporting on related to revolutionary clinics. I will say that but he called it misinformation it seemed like in that in that email and
1: I'm just like what
4: was misinformed yet you have an opportunity Keith Cooper we challenge you to come on the show and answer questions you won't Uh, we also quoted you in that story and Keith Cooper said he said something that to me doesn't seem very truthful when we actually asked him about this it's quoted I put it in the story I don't know I'm just I'm kind of like flabbergasted he put out this huge email to all of his employees But he also, what he didn't mention in the email that he sent all his employees, who the gentleman was. He just basically made it sound like it was just some average employee. He wasn't an average employee. He was your CFO. So I thought that was strange. Anyone else want to comment on it?
6: What is the CCC going? Where are they going to take this? I saw saw that it was on the agenda.
4: Yeah, see, that's what we don't know. I have a feeling the CCC, (laughs) from my experience, I don't think they're going to act on a complaint like that maybe they will maybe they won't um maybe they'll investigate it but they're not just going to act because there was a complaint made they're going to have to look into it do an investigation i would think um however i I feel like they're more likely to act if like the the mass uh, committee uh commission against discrimination heard the complaint nothing happened the attorney withdrew it he withdrew it because he's going to file a civil complaint now if the civil complaint ends up you know finding that revolutionary clinics was at fault i think the cannabis control commission will definitely act at that point however we find it interesting you know all of a sudden the revolutionary clinics is up on the agenda for thursday's ccc meeting uh some kind of action disciplinary action is going to be taken about the uh, against revolutionary clinics who we wrote the story about i have no idea if that's related i have a feeling it's not related but it's very interesting and I don't think any of us know. I haven't heard anyone giving us any info on why that is even on the agenda. So it's it's news to us. It's new news. It's very interesting. Uh, I'm very interested to see what happens on Thursday.
6: Yeah. A new and, violation?
1: But likely unrelated. Yeah, um, I, I would think it's about testing. Based on,
4: I would think it's well, about it, 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 They all yeah, seem to be it, about testing lately.
1: Yeah, and, and based on the history with the last three violations, which were healthy farms, which is now mission, the botanist and garden remedies. It tends to be about um, things where like there are concealed, um, contaminant tests or documents are given that are misleading, um, or ownership issues. Now
4: that's another one about- that could be, it could be an ownership issue. Cause I, I, there's a lot I left out of that story, oh. you know, and there's more that we're looking at. So, It could be an ownership issue. That would be the most interesting to me. You know, I'll kind of, honestly, I'll kind of be let down if it's just another pesticide issue and they lied about it. I won't be let down because I'll be like, wow, it just shows they're dirty again. But, uh, you know. The important important
1: thing about the enforcement actions is that you don't just get like unlimited enforcement actions. Right. If they give you an enforcement action and you're on probation and you do something again, you're, you're probably going to get a suspension. It hasn't happened yet, but it lays the foundation. So, uh, but the other thing is I think people <laughs> are sensing a common theme here, uh, which is that it seems that these corporate guys, whether it's the delivery policy, the caregiver policy, the uh, research study policy, Always try to find ways to undermine policies that kind of cut them out and try to insert themselves. And this Revolutionary Clinics company, uh, Mike, just because you asked about the story. So I thought the story spoke for itself. Uh, The MCAD complaint, uh, the victim statements, the statements you got from the individual who was accused in the complaint. Uh, But at the same time, this is the same company, Revolutionary Clinics, that sued Cambridge, Because Cambridge created an EE-only priority period for issuing adult use HCAs that didn't include medical dispensaries. They actually sued the city. And this is also uh, the same company that was part of the CDA when the Commonwealth Dispensary Association proposed that horrific task force bill. So you see a pattern here. Every single time there's something that might threaten the profits of these guys, they're right there exerting their influence on the local level, the state level, the regulatory level, and it takes a unified grassroots community to come together to come out and support, to email the Cannabis Control Commission at commission at cccmass.com, and say you support allowing wholesale and warehousing for delivery, and say you support an expanded delivery priority period for equity applicants, and say you support 10 caregivers per patient, and say you support research licenses being decoupled, because if you don't reach out and tell them that, you can be damn sure those corporate guys will be in their inbox with their allied advocacy groups doing the same.
4: That's right, and you, you have a limited opportunity like, this is an important time. Like, this Cannabis Control Commission wasn't always this good. We don't know how long it's going to be, co- like, open to these proposals. Like, these are new things that they're doing, and it took us a while to get them up to speed. And a lot of people did a lot of work to get them there, like Grant and Janelle and Dr. McNabb. Michael Malta was talking about it in 2012. You could do it from, my, like, getting care to givers down will make me cry, honestly, just for him this is like his my best friend's uh, unfinished legacy like he wanted this to happen so this is like a once in a and a decade opportunity we need to take advantage of it so please do contact them And it, you know another thing you can do too is support us midnightmass.substack.com if you want to subscribe because let me tell you all of their focus right now is on us believe me you know between Netta New England treatment access and Rev clinics We've been investing to protect ourselves, haven't we, Grant? A little bit. Grant no puts comment. his head down. He doesn't want to comment. <laughs> but yeah, I'm wondering: should I read the email? Should I read? Does anyone want me to read the email, or at least like the first paragraph from Keith Cooper about us? Do you want to hear it? I have it right in front of me. Does any? Uh, what, what about? I look at the rest of the guests. You? Do you want to hear it? Yes, they they're shaking the head. It's getting late. Like if anyone like has to go to the bathroom right now, or has to go eat dinner, walk a dog, just let me know. Because it's okay. You can pop off. You don't have to listen to me. Read this email. All right. No one's saying anything. (laughs) Dear Rev Team, as some of you know, a person from the Young Jerks posted a piece about us related to allegations of harassment and discrimination in our workplace. He cites an incident that was alleged to have occurred in April of 2019, as well as some comments from a former employee who separated from the company earlier in 2019. So, he calls his CFO a former employee. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty shady. Yeah. Just from, that's the first paragraph. <laughs> And then he, I'm going to read one more sentence, the second paragraph, because this is, goes on for four or five paragraphs, actually probably six, seven. <laughs> he writes, as difficult as it is to see misinformation or topics of such importance, we purposely do not respond to these sorts of accusations on social media as it just generates more interest and it could have negative legal ramifications for the company. Well, your former CFO did respond. You also responded, Keith Cooper, when we put the camera in front of your face and you said the allegations, actually I'm not going to quote you, I want to make sure I quote you directly, but you said something to the effect that you can't trust everything you read on Reddit. Which reading between the lines seems like you denied the allegations to me. It's
0: a gaslighting.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm also confused is, and maybe, you know, this is an internal statement, and obviously, you know, Mr. Cooper, I know your social media team is going to clip this and, and play it for you. You might even be listening right now. Um, I don't understand why you do this. It's pointless to send out internal emails because your employees are just going to send them to us.
4: Yeah, they're going to send so, us everything. Well, yeah, yeah. I want to I I let Revolutionary Clicks know to end that New England Treatment access. I know more about you folks than you realize. If you've done it, I know about it. Think about that. Think about that, Mr. Cooper.
1: What I wanted to say about that was that, you know, not even to Mr. Cooper directly, but to all these companies, it scares me that instead of addressing the allegation, you address the reporting about the allegation because it makes it seem like you don't care about that victim. And if you don't care about the victim and the fact that they were brave enough to file that complaint and actually come forward, it makes me wonder if maybe the victim's word should carry more weight in my life.
4: If you're not honest about the fact that ownership and management were accused, not just an employee, like that's dishonest. And when you continue to attack us, whether it's through a podcast that you say disparaging things or you send an email to your, your employees to disparage us, those are cheap shots and those are being recorded. And we, we get everything. So, I mean, I, I, I'm wondering, should I, you think we should post this whole thing later tonight, the whole letter? I think we might.
1: I think it warrants a piece about it, if you ask me.
4: Yeah, I think we, we'll we'll send it to our legal review team. <laughs> All right, we're the Young Jerks. We've got some great guests here. Dr. Marion McNabb from the Cannabis Center of Excellence. Dan Scotland, host of the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. <laughs> oh, now I'm coughing. We have uh, Janelle. Owens Goins.
2: Goins. <laughs> I like Goins. <laughs> it. Goins.
4: And tell us the name of your company again. The emerald turtle. The emerald turtle. I love that. Like it. And we have, of course, Grant Smith uh, from everything. What uh, he's, he's <laughs> Midnight Mass and the Young Jerks and myself, Mike Crawford. Obviously, did I forget anyone? No, Dan Scotland, I, the host of the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast, is also here. I might have said his name twice or once. What I do?
0: Um, it's cool. Um, yeah, it's it's just I I am um. I can be found anywhere you find podcasts. Um, I'm also trying to carry on what Mike does. Um, trying to make cannabis affordable, accessible for regular folks. Um, and I've, I've, I've been emailing the CCC. They, they probably know me by name by this point, but we got to just keep doing that. But yeah, um, I can be found anywhere you find podcasts.
4: Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Stitcher. You're everywhere. iTunes. Yep. That's where I listen to you. Again, I am Cannabis Sativa Podcast. Uh so again I want to thank our guests. anything else you all want to leave us with, you just consider this your closing statements. Anything you want to talk about? I know Dr. McNabb, you work on a lot of things with the Cannabis Center of Excellence Excellence. You work with uh University of Dartmouth, UMass Dartmouth, is that correct?
5: Yep, UMass Dartmouth. Um, yeah, we do. Um, I guess I'll say if if anybody's interested um, or consumes cannabis, uh, UMass Dartmouth and uh, the Cannabis Center of Excellence have a COVID-19 and cannabis research study going on right now. Um, So we're trying to collect anonymous information to understand how COVID-19 has impacted cannabis users and be able to develop um, and share education and, um, you know, information about that. And then we also launched a, uh, together with Trella, Asia Otwood, and uh, Sam Milton, uh, Climate Resources Group, a cannabis um, sustainability, and uh, a, well, I can't believe I'm forgetting. I'm not really forgetting. It's a cannabis um, uh, social uh, responsibility and environmental responsibility study. So we launched that on Monday. So if you're a cannabis cultivator, it takes five minutes, it's anonymous, uh, help us out. We'll be using that information again to, as we have been doing with C3RN in the past, um, trying to raise awareness and education and and change
6: policies. So,
4: awesome. And yeah. Jan- and uh, Janelle, I'm sure you wanna.
6: Let's do a little plug for. Is this the right way? No. Yes. Okay. I think <laughs> so, right?
4: Yeah, a delivery license. And yeah. Go I... ahead.
6: You come. to masscat.org. To, we're trying to, basically trying to start a trade organization for delivery. Um, so check us out, sign up, become a member, free.
4: <laughs> what's, the, what's the website? I've been on there. on your Do You have a p- petition too, right?
6: Right, and it can be found on masscad.org. MassCAD, and
4: so it's d.org yeah. Yes. Perfect. MassCAD, C-A-D, so masscad.org. Yes. Perfect, sign the petition. Yeah,
6: I think we have 300 now.
4: So, Very good. definitely
6: support for it.
4: And people haven't signed that. You definitely go on there right now and sign that for her, for the organization, for delivery. And where's there's the, where's the link again, MassCAD? Yeah, it's like M-A-S-S. C-A-D.
0: C-A-D. Dot Deliberate. org.
4: Yep. No, mass, mass cad, C-A-D. Mass, cad.org Okay. Get it? Cool. All right. I found it. Cool. We got one more, s- one more signature for you.
6: I know. Perfect. Thank you.
1: And you have until you have. If you are interested, uh, we covered so many important topics today about the CCC's regulatory revision. If you are interested in supporting 10 patients per caregiver grow in 500 square feet of canopy, if you are ex- interested in ex- supporting Janelle and others with their expanded delivery to include wholesale and warehousing. If you're interested in supporting Dr. McNabb's proposals about research licenses being decoupled from MTC ownership, you have until August 14th at 5 p.m. to email commission at cccmass.com and tell them why you support those proposals. If you don't do that, the corporate guys will send their people into the email and we will not get these proposals passed. So please, we, as Mike said, this is a once every seven-year opportunity, if that the, the stars have come together as if a conflagration waiting to swallow whole the Republic in a grassroots uprising. Don't lose this chance. Please email the CCC. Please support the grassroots cannabis community and thank you for the chance to be on tonight, Mike.
4: Thank you. And uh, Dan Scullin, you got any last words for us?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, I just want, I, I want to thank you very much, Mike, for having me on Um it really made this two year anniversary of my podcast special to be on a panel for the first time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I want to continue to make cannabis accessible for, for the average person um, such as, um, you know, knowing, knowing which resources to go to um, knowing if there are, um, knowing how to qualify for financial hardship, any, anything like that and I, I follow policy, cannabis policy from all over the United States and world and try to tie it back to our, our, our struggle because um, if you really think about it, there aren't a lot of areas and a lot of, you know, you only have Canada and 12 US states and South Africa and I think the Australian capital territory. So we're in a very small company. We can really afford to learn from each other and make a sort of a global grassroots. And again, I can be found anywhere you find podcasts such as iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, CastBox, uh, Spotify, um, and as well as iHeartRadio. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you,
4: Dan Scotland. I want to thank again Janelle Goins for being on the show. Dan Scotland, host of the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast, Dr. Marion McNabb, and Grant Smith for being here as well and bailing me out on the podcast. the screw-up that started the show, but we're good. We had a great show. Great panel bailed, bailed us out, made us sound good. Uh, again, I want to thank all of our listeners. We had a quite a few of them tonight. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for the comments, and we'll talk to you real soon. on am Mike Crawford checking out. One thing, if you want to help us, a couple things actually, sign the petition that we just talked about, masscad.org. Sign that petition. Number two, email the Cannabis Control Commission. What's the email again, Grant?
1: Commission at cccmass.com. Say that again. Commission, commission. at cccmass.com.
4: So, yeah, there you go. Mission at cccmass.com. No, say it again.
1: Commission at cccmass.com. Okay, commission
4: at cccmass.com. Got that. So email them. Tell them what you like on the new regulations. And it, the final thing, you've got to subscribe to us if you're not. midnightmass.substack.com. Grant and I put a lot of time into those stories. We want you to like them, share them, send them to your friends. And if you can, join the you know, premium subscriber. I want to thank Dr. McNabb. She signed up. I owe you T-shirts. I never got those T-shirts to you. Are you still li- I'm
5: really looking forward to the t-shirt. I really want one. <laughs>
4: Are you still at the same address that you sent me the email? Yeah. Find? Okay. I, yeah. I owe you. I got to send you some t-shirts. Yeah. So, Do subs- you have them for sale? Yeah, we can hook you up. Yeah. Send me a message. Awesome. All right. Yeah. If, so- you. if someone wants, I mean, we don't have them like on the website or anything because we only have a few left, but if someone wants to purchase them, they could hit me up. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, and that's the other thing Midnightmass.substack.com. if you really want to support us subscribe on our website There's a way you can become a premium subscriber for as little as five dollars a month That is really the future for us and the way we want to be you know Obviously we have some sponsors we have had sponsors We still have taken some sponsor money, but that's not what we want to be We want to be listener viewer supported and I got to tell you like we could be taking a lot of money from dispensaries like all I got to do is call any of them you know besides the ones we've really banged on obviously but I mean you know easily I could call some big names like I'll give you one Sarah. I guarantee you Sarah would have written a big check to me multiple times if I just asked and a lot of other suspensions but we don't we're not like that and it's not about money for us but we do need money for this operation it does cost us money and we want to expand it and we want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves too and we're doing everything correctly so if you can kick in subscribe as little as five dollars a month It does help us we want to be viewer listener supported it does make a big difference for us in terms of what we can deliver to you but beyond that share it with your friends send it to your friends we have a uh, young jerks Facebook group that we share a lot of our information there as well as midnight mass you got to be on both of those and again invite your friends you get if once you're in that group you know who all your cool friends are. You know who who are the ones that are into local politics and local cannabis and the industry. Invite them to that group cuz that is where a lot of stuff gets shared and it's completely free and they'll thank you later. All right, I'm Mike Crawford. I am out of here. I give you a lot to do. Get to work. We'll see you next time and we'll see how you
6: did. Bye. Thanks. Thank bye. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.
3: If you're a cannabis employee worried about your health and safety and are not being hurt at work, UFCW local 1445.org or call them at 1-800-439-1445
0: anchor.fm am sativa podcast support you can also support me now on patreon at www.patreon.com Sativa podcast you can support the podcast for as little as one dollar a month we also have a five dollar and above tier if you are feeling extra generous additionally if you wish to get in contact with us you can leave a voice message on anchor and you can do this by going to https